0: Sports Talk Radio for the Brainerd Lakes. 1380 KLIZ
1: AM. Brainerd Baxter, The Fan.
0: It's time for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ The Fan. Featuring Colin McDonald and Chris Foley. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort. Your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake. Maury's Market. Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge. Ernie's on Gull. The T-Hive, Alverson Law Office, and the Legacy Courses at Creggins. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. And now here's Chris Foley and Colin McDonald for Lakes, Woods, and Irons at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan.
2: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and now on Podcast One as well. Chris Foley, uh, back from his uh, adventures on the road, his uh, vagabond adventures. Uh, <laughs> uh, after spending some time at Augusta, we had Chris on the phone, of course, last week uh, from the grounds. And uh, since then, Chris, we were just talking uh, Saturday, you spent most of the day on, and that was, boy, that, that, that was such an exciting day at Augusta Saturday. Oh, it was great. It, um, uh, you know, it, it really...
3: It really just goes to show you the most exciting golf is not necessary when the golf course is set up overly difficult. Uh, Like... typically is at the US Open you know the uh really Saturday and Sunday especially the golf course was was set up for scoring and it was an incredibly exciting weekend at the Masters i mean just the 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 level of players that were on the leaderboard the number of players and uh it was just it was a star-studded leaderboard with so many
2: players playing just great golf 363s on Saturday were there i think that's yeah. right the most ever yeah. in one day yeah yeah <laughs> impressive <laughs> yeah just amazing and of course uh uh didn't get um the sunday was interesting because it ended up being in the morning which was too bad for television ratings i don't know if there's a better a better afternoon in the year than sunday afternoon uh when the golf season starting with masters sunday afternoon instead it was all done by about lunchtime and uh, tiger woods as he said it fits when he slipped on the green jacket for the fifth time in his uh, life and uh it was kind of that uh, the way Woods used to win a lot of tournaments, Chris. It's not he didn't play great. He shot seventy. He uh, he played more solid than everybody else. Yeah, I, I you know Tiger knew what he had to do to win,
3: and uh, I, I, I thought his performance. He, he just really plotted his way around the golf course and just played great, great golf, and uh, really was a uh, you know a clinic in how to. How to get the job done uh it was impressive you know like, like on twelve he um you know he there was no reason to hit at that pin. Which a lot of the players were doing, and and the best spot on that green, the most conservative best play is is you know middle of the green left. You hit it over the bunker. Um, you know it, if you hit it in the bunker, it's in the bunker, which is just fine. The bunker is a lot less penalty than the water. Yeah. So if you hit it short on the on the bank, like four out of the five leaders did, uh, you know you're in the water because that grass is shaved down. But if you hit it over the bunker and you're short you're in the bunker and and uh, Tiger was disciplined enough to do that he didn't have to go at the pin and uh, nice little two putt for par and he's you know he's off to the races that was really where where he separated himself from the
2: fields so. picked up two on just about everybody It's yeah. just on that hole yeah Kepka just shows his teeth again in a major he didn't play great on Sunday but boy he starts with 66 has an off day here one of the two days after and then sunday 's kind of right there, but he had the double bogey on twelve as well went for the pin uh, if that doesn 't happen, he maybe wins it yeah and if he right hits the... that eight footer on the seventy second he 's maybe in a playoff right, yeah, he uh, makes the double on, on
3: on twelve, but then comes back with two birdies, a birdie on thirteen and a birdie on fifteen you know just another solid pl- you know tournament for Kepka who he is in the majors for some reason he just
2: rises to the occasion (laughs) so uh, other takeaways on Sunday it had to be uh, our Saturday I guess Uh, the roars uh, the Tiger roars are are just the real thing Uh, the players all the current greats who've always kind of said they wish they could be uh, in it with Tiger on Saturday and Sunday in a major well now they've kind of had their wish and uh, uh, boy they just also admire the guy you know uh, Dustin and Kepka and Kepka just smiled and said, "You know he 's pretty good, yeah, <laughs> and the uh, Dustin talking about well, yeah, the tiger roars are a lot different than the dustin johnson roars i 'll tell you I, I was prob when he made
3: or when he hit the shot on the on sixteen that was so close when Tiger did, uh, I was probably a mile away from that green. I was off the golf course." It sounded like I was next to the green. I mean, the roar was incredible, and almost as loud when he made the you know makes the putt uh, tap in for birdie, right? Um, and then you know, not quite as far away when he when he putted out on eighteen. It, it was even from the distance I was, it was really really loud. <laughs> I can't imagine the atmosphere and the electricity in if you were right next to
2: the yeah great emotional uh finish with the, his kids there and uh his son can and of course they reminisced a lot about his uh his father had been there his when he was 19 and now his boy's there and uh 22 years later i guess it was something like that so pretty cool deal yeah pretty cool son and daughter and he said later that she played for a state championship in soccer or something <laughs> the day before and lost and he talked her into coming up to the. You want to come to the Masters tomorrow? <laughs> you know the the. Uh, it was very neat to see the
3: number of players waiting for him as he went in to sign his scorecard too. That was, uh, you know the the uh, the spring break gang as they call him Ricky Fowler, or Ricky Fowler and <laughs> yeah and Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. I mean those guys all tend to pull for each other and wait for each other, but you, you never see as many players as were there waiting for him. Uh, uh, as he got ready to sign his scorecard and go in the clubhouse,
2: so that was that was pretty neat. And they play together quite a bit. Ricky and uh, Tiger live close together, yes. and uh, and that was interesting to hear Tiger talk about that a little bit too. Uh, that uh, uh, he played in serious competitions with Ricky Fowler, and he and he started to be able to play with him. And that's when he thought, you know, Fowler's one of the best in the world, and I'm right there with him. So uh, whatever it takes to uh, to reawaken that feeling or that confidence, really. I wouldn't say he's uh he's any more humble. I you know Tiger's not humble because he's maybe the greatest ever. So most of those guys aren't that humble. Yeah. They know they're the greatest. Yeah. But he's more appreciative I think of uh the things that uh, the game now. Yeah, I think he
3: has a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, it, just in life in general and and his golf game and you know the, the what he's been through in life will tend to to tend to do that for you but sure. uh uh he, he it's definitely a uh a more friendly tiger, yeah, no question. At, at this yeah. point in his career, and uh, thankfully, and um, boy, I think we're we there's more good things to come. I, um, you know, I always ho- hoped that he would win another major. I didn't know if it would ever happen though, but uh, he certainly it was certainly quite a show that he put on this weekend.
2: Yeah, well, you've been saying for years on this show how how great it'll be for the game if he wins another major, and. Uh, I would guess we'll talk about it maybe in the fourth segment, but uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say golf lessons are on the upswing. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it it definitely can't hurt
3: any. And, and the excitement level around this is incredible. And, you know, excitement in golf always peaks during the majors. But, um, you know, as I scroll through my social media feeds – it's it's amazing the amount of posts that uh, are either masters or tiger woods and the most of them being tiger and like my my daughter said i talked to her about halfway through the round on on sunday and she she said she was very excited for it and she said i can't believe this is happening and she said i think the
2: internet is going to break <laughs> yeah <laughs> no kidding We'll uh, take a break here. We'll be back with an interview with Derek Ingram, a friend of Chris's and uh, a Canadian um, golf uh, teacher as well. And uh, Corey Connors, is one of his students who had a nice nice, uh, run in the uh, Masters, so fun to see. And we tried to hook up with Derek last week, but uh, Chris and uh, Derek were headed in a lot of directions when they were at Augusta together. You're listening to uh, Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons
0: at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan.
3: Want to welcome to the show, got a special guest, Derek Ingram. Derek is the uh, Canadian national uh, coach who runs the Canadian national team and was a 2016 Coach of the Year in Canada, 2003-2007 PGA Professional of the Year in Canada. And most importantly, he is the coach of Corey Connors, who won... uh, the uh uh pj tour event in san antonio the valspar championship and qualified for the masters and had a great masters uh derek welcome to the show
1: uh, thanks for having me chris good good catching up
3: absolutely i we we were trying to uh get you on last week after uh Corey's win in san antonio and uh between your your busy schedule and my busy schedule we we weren't able to connect but uh yeah, it's great to have you on the show and uh it was so fun to see uh see Corey, uh, win in San Antonio and qualify for the masters
1: yeah, I know. It was, uh, you know, just thrilled for Corey. He's, he's been a player that, first of all, I've got a long term relationship. Probably coached him for for eight years or maybe nine years, and uh, and I've always known he was going to be a winner on the PGA Tour. I actually think he's a player that might win majors on the PGA Tour. He's that good, but he's still young and and you know, doing lots of improving and learning. Uh, so, yeah, thrilled for a guy who works hard, does all the right things, and uh, and is also a great person.
3: Yeah, off air we were talking a little bit about, about his background, but uh, l- tell our listeners kind of where where Corey has come from. And, you know, it was it's a little misleading that he was a Monday qualifier to win that the at San Antonio because he is a PJ Tour member, and Correct. Uh, but he you know he's had a great progression in the game, and, and tell us about that.
1: Yeah, well, he actually won the World Junior Championships in Japan. Uh, I guess about uh, almost ten years ago, and so he was a world-class junior player. But a player who, you know, was playing other sports, playing hockey and and uh, you know some high school sports, and and uh, up until you know, maybe even 17, 16, 17, until, uh, you know, he started focusing his attention on golf. And after he won the World Junior in Japan, he uh, played college golf at Kent State. His first two years at Kent State, he didn't play particularly well. But then, really, he became one of the best college and amateur players in the world, his second two years at Kent State. Uh, And I I would say he was, you know, some people would argue he was, you know, certainly a top three or five amateur in the world over the course of two years where he took his game everywhere in the world, including Australia, South America, uh, Europe, and played and either had good finishes, one or, or top tens or top fifteens in the best amateur events in the world. And then from there, he made the, he, he had, uh, was a quarter finalist at the U.S. Amateur and a, set, and a finalist at the U.S. Amateur. And, and, and through that, he got to play in Augusta in 2015, and then he turned professional shortly after that.
3: Wow, what a great, great career! And so he's progressed quickly to, to the PGA Tour, uh, through the the Latin American Tour, the PGA Canada Tour, and then the Web. Tour, and now on the PGA Tour and as a PGA Tour winner.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, last year was his first year of the PGA Tour. He was a rookie. He had a couple very nice finishes. And actually, I don't know if you, you, the listeners will probably recall, um, in the, he was in the final group at Valles Bar in Tampa. And uh, in that final group was him and Justin Rosen. And the group in front of him was Tiger Woods. And there is a ton of hype about that tournament because uh, Ty- it was one of Tiger's first events you know, back yes. where he played great. And it was funny because... Corey and Justin Rose were in the last group, and about the fourth or fifth hole, Justin looks over and Corey goes, there's nobody here. <laughs> <laughs> there's no one watching us. They're all up there. And Corey was, yeah, it was eerie quiet in that final group because everybody was watching uh, Tiger. Uh, anyway, Corey... He ended up finishing 16th or 17th. He had a, a bit of a struggle that final round and did that a couple times in his rookie season, but he's, he's uh, certainly learned from that and, and improved from that and, and had some great finishes this year. So
3: that last Sunday at, at, at San Antonio, or last weekend at San Antonio, yeah. I, am I correct? He birdied 18 of 36 holes, is that right?
1: well yeah i, I actually didn 't count that up, but I know in the, I think in the last round he birdied ten or eleven holes, so and I know the round before yeah, he would have had you 're right it, it probably was eighteen, 18 if it was if it wasn 't eighteen, it might have been nineteen, so it was pretty impressive yeah
3: that that is really impressive and you know one one of the things what one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was in in his, he did such a great job in his interviews and um you know he 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 was so humble and and, and told his story. But one one of the things he talked about was staying focused on that last nine. But how he he reset after nine holes, and I wanted to ask you about. I know you guys have spent a lot of time on that. And how tell tell me what what he meant by resetting, and how do you train that?
1: Well. Yeah, two, two wicked questions now. <laughs> you know, he, as you know, that final round, he buried, he got off to a fast start, and I think he buried four of of five and was leading, and then he bogeyed six, seven, eight, nine. He bogeyed four yes. in a row. And he knew, you know, in some of those cases, they were just extremely difficult holes that were back into the wind, and, and one of them he got, you know, just an extremely bad break. And so it's not like his game was gone, and, and – the best thing was up between nine and uh, ten at the Valero in, in Texas. Uh, there's a long cart ride between the, those tee, that tee box, and, and that green, and so he had, you know, he probably had four or five minutes on the cart just to remind himself, "Hey, I'm playing great golf." Those were tough holes. Let's have a you know a drink of water, a bite to eat, and just reset here and get back to hitting good shots. Uh, and uh, so he, that time really helped him. And I think you know the experiences he had uh, the previous year, uh, both of, I think it was. And the Vallis and then also in Dominican last year, where he had chances to win and, and, and really didn't get it done, and, and actually didn't have great finishes when he had those chances to win. I mean, helped him to, to stay, stay the course and, and really get back to playing his game. And, and I think it, it made it easy for him knowing I am playing great golf. Uh, but also if you watched him in that final round he was so calm you know really managing his breathing well super quiet mind never too high never too low and um uh yeah, no, it just really worked out well. I mean, obviously, he hit it to a, like a, I think four feet on ten made birdie, and then hit it to a foot on eleven made birdie, and then twelve he made a he made a thirty footer for birdie. So uh, things turned around quickly. Yeah,
3: that was really cool. So yeah. when you know after those those times he didn't finish off the tournaments as well as he we would have liked. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys had a, a kind of a, a you 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 probably sat down and recapped that with him. We did. And what, what, what are some of the things that you talked about to try, not to give away all your secrets, yeah, no. But what were the, some got, of the things that you did to, to help him, that, that helped him, you know, finish this one off?
1: Yeah, no, and some of the stuff we do, we, we do a reflection after every tournament. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we want to know the stuff we're doing well, both physically and mentally. So it could be swing keys, it uh, could, te- could be technical keys, but often it's feels, or uh you know just uh, uh, uh something that they visualize or it could be their self-talk or their breathing so we do you know we want to we really want to be aware of what we're doing we play our best golf that's you know and so we can be a really good version of ourselves and I think in corey's case be a great version of corey and then we want to be aware of what what happens when the wheels fall off yeah. a little bit and, and so in his case you know uh things got moving really quickly you know, the breathing got a little bit faster. Uh, the mind got a little bit busier, and uh, you know, he just forgot to, forgot to focus on the shot at hand, and, and you know, just to slow it down a little bit. And, and he's a, Corey is a s- extremely fast player. Like he he is a point and go <laughs> player, and uh, he's one of the fastest we, guys on tour.
3: We, we need more of those.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And so, you know, for him slowing it down might not even look like slowing it down because he's so confident and so fast, but he just, you know, by, by going through those experiences and, and doing some training to get him uncomfortable in his regular training environment or his daily training environment, um, you know, and to really challenge him. And an interesting story is on Wednesday night uh, I was working with him at, in Texas, and we did some putting drills. And he likes to do the comfortable putting drills, you know, chalk line and stuff like that, and and leave confident, super confident. And I was like, no, 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 it's my turn now. And I set up some drills. Not we we did some of the stuff he loves, but we did some different drills uh, just to challenge him and put him through some adversity. And he didn't do well. And I said, hey, it's okay. we didn't do well. I want you to have sessions where you leave here a little bit pissed off and grumpy. Uh, And his wife sent me a text in the evening. He thanks for those uh, putting drills. I asked him how the session went went with you. And he said it was terrible. Uh, But, you know, I think pushing, pushing people to get out of their comfort zone and, and and uh and it's okay to have a a session where you don't do as well i think is important and it's also real because we're gonna have to learn how to deal with that adversity right. in the golf course and uh it, as a consequence that week he putted average in the first three days he's just a tremendous ball striker and then he was the best putter in the field the final day
3: oh that's awesome yeah you know the the uh, that's where all the learning happens is when you're uncomfortable and when you're struggling i think and for sure one of the things that i always talk about to to uh the players that i work with is you know the the, the thing that separates the corey connors from the you know the average player or a good college player is that awareness of where they're at and where how they're thinking and being able to redirect those thoughts or you know feeling comfortable when you're uncomfortable basically
2: for
1: sure. And we did some other unique training throughout the year. I don't want to give all my secret no. secrets away, but uh, it really focusing on that for, and we actually invited uh, Corey and his his wife uh, to it because she's an important part of the team. And, uh, you know, I think it was great for both our, it was our amateur team, our young pro squad athletes and, and a couple of professionals uh, that we work with. And, uh, you yeah, know, it was great. Uh, we, we're always looking at ways to be chaotic a little bit and to, to scramble the athletes so they have to think learn adapt and deal with adversity yeah that's
3: that's so cool you know you could tell his wife was such a big part of the win yeah. i mean the the videos of them went viral you know her <laughs> her uh, her reactions to the putts and yeah. just the win and it was really a cool deal
1: so, well, and you, you know, it's its a team, uh, it's really a team effort in that, you know, they're, they childhood sweethearts. I mean, she cares so much about them. She's all in for Corey Connors, but, uh, you know, they're, they're both so grounded. They're just so real, real everyday people. Uh, and she is, the best thing about having a partner is uh to be to have unconditional love whether you're going to finish first or you're going to miss the cut and be the last person in the field and lose money and to do that over a sustained period of time and just say hey i'm here for you and i believe in you uh that's really difficult as a as a as a a wife of a competitive golfer and she's she's the best at it
3: well it's it's such a you know, players are on the road so much, and if they're yeah. they're separated, and you, you got to have that yeah. unconditional support and love to, to be successful. And, and,
1: and yet yeah. for juniors, you you deal with a lot of the best juniors and in, in the state, and many of the best in the country, and college players. You know that as well. I mean, yeah. And then when they start to turn professional, having having family support too—that's both unconditional in terms of their love, not based on how, their performance, and and uh, and of course uh, be, being there for them, but not yeah. but. But just being an expert and being mom and dad, not trying to coach too much and do too much. Yeah, absolutely.
3: So, well, so you're uh, you're at Hilton Head right now, getting getting ready for the tournament this week. With uh, yes, is. Corey's there. Is Mackenzie Hughes one of your other students there?
1: Yeah, yeah, Corey and Mac are both here and I only coach two players uh, out here. I'm fortunate enough that Golf Canada and Sport Canada allow me to do this on top of my, my, my really full-time job of coaching our national teams and so, uh, and in turn, you know, the guys are great. They don't they don't take too much of my time. They're they're gentle, real gentlemen, but uh, so I'm here. Yeah, I'm leaving actually tomorrow. I, I, I just came for some preparation Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday.
3: Well, t- tell us about Corey's week at Augusta. I mean, he he had a yeah. great week. What, yeah. what what were what were his takeaways from the week, and how did he feel about it? And
1: well, his preparation probably wasn't as good as he'd probably like it to, you know, because he got in so late. But because he played in 2015, and we did such great prep preparation as an amateur, he felt fairly comfortable and he needed some time to rest and he got a little bit of that before the tournament. You know, he started off with, with three under par rounds and was in a great spot to have a top, you know, top 20, maybe even a top 15. And just unfortunately, the last nine holes, uh, you know, he like a lot of great players, he made a triple on, uh, you know, hit in the water on 12 and, and uh, you know, just... It didn't quite go as I think he ended up finishing 40th or 44th, and still first first cut uh, made in a major is that's his third major and. And uh, I'm pretty optimistic that there's going to be a lot better results in majors for Corey Connors going yeah, forward. But for sure. learned a lot, uh, and uh, you know, had a magical week getting to go back and watch. He actually went back and watched Tiger Woods finish because you know a, a bit of a childhood hero, and and you know he wants to do what Tiger's done. He would like to win a, win a major too. Or and, and uh, I think it's important that you watch that to, if you want to do that.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was cool to see all the players waiting around. As Tiger finished, you know it. Uh,
2: yeah,
1: uh, he, he moves the needle, right? They he, he they they respect the Tiger middle. Woods. I mean, it's hard not to inspect uh, respect the guy who's won eighty one is maybe that's eighty two times, uh, you know, and he's the best player of this generation country
3: mob. yeah well one one final question i know you're busy tonight derek uh it's so you you're out there with them this this week uh yeah. during the practice rounds. How, how do you how do you guys prepare for for a tournament in general or or, or Harbor Town? what uh what type of things are you doing and um yeah. to get them ready
1: yeah well, we'll uh Typically, we're going to uh, have a lighter day on Wednesday where we increase the, uh, the quality of our practice, but maybe less quantity, so higher focus, uh, on a less number of shots and really preparing each area of the game, you know, T ball, ball work is really important at, at Harbourtown because it's it's a narrow course and it's really a ball strikers course and and it's it's not a course where guys are going to shoot uh, you know eight or nine under par or thirty under for the week. It's just a really good test of golf. Uh, so uh, again, on a day like today, it would be it would be higher focus, less less volume, uh, but really you know turn turn I, I guess turn up the heat a little bit and. And really challenging the guys, uh, Tuesday and Monday are, are days where you'll play practice rounds and really get to know the golf course and where you're going to miss it off the tee and where you're going to miss it into greens and really building a game plan, getting your targets off the tee, uh, getting your targets onto the, uh, into the green and being aware of, you know, how the wind, cause the wind will swirl in there, but you just have to trust yourself, uh, and then also making sure you get, you know, you get a couple of workouts in and you're getting great sleeps and rests and uh, just getting your, your entire – everything getting prepared for Thursday when the gun goes off and you, it's time to compete. And so uh, that's how I spend my time with the guys and uh, they're a little bit different in, in the sense that you know, they've got different swings or different people. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but they're, they're very similar in, in terms of how their preparation is. They both prepare extremely well and, and extremely professional.
3: Yeah, that's that's cool. that's great stuff, Derek. Lou, I really appreciate you coming on the on the show. And again, like you have in the past, sharing your knowledge with us, you always have some great uh, some great nuggets of information to help the help the golfers out there. So, uh, yep.
1: appreciate my, you coming my, on. Oh, it's my pleasure, Chris. Always always a pleasure catching up. And uh, and thanks very much for having me.
3: Thank you, Derek. That was uh, that was Derek Ingram, uh, national coach of the or Canadian national golf team coach.
1: And uh, Coach Corey Connors on the PJ Tour.
0: You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley and Colin McDonald at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan.
2: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan, streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and now available at Podcast One. Very special guest. Chris, uh, handle the introductions. We've had this uh, fine gentleman on with us before, and it's yeah. always fun to have him back.
3: Good, good friend of the show, always one of our most entertaining guests, but uh, I want to welcome back Tripp Bowden, who, uh, those of you who remember, is a former, uh, he was a first full-time white caddy at Augusta National, and uh, now an author, and uh, before we had him on, talked about his great book, uh, "Freddie and Me. Uh, life lessons from from Freddie Freddie Bennett, Augusta National's legendary caddy master, and he's got a good, great new book out called "The Caddy's Cookbook." Uh, welcome to the show, Trip.
4: Thanks, Jens. Honored to be here, as always.
3: You know, it. Uh, I, I mentioned off air. It. Uh, uh, th- this isn't exactly the Augusta National, Nash- or the, this isn't exactly the Augusta Junior Leagues cookbook that they put out on a, a yearly basis but it's uh kind of an insider's look at augusta national along with some of the uh some of the great food around
4: well, thank you for saying that it's actually uh, as i mentioned too off air that uh, they follow the rules and i do not <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's um it, it's a good way you call it an insider's look it's uh it's it's probably the only inside look that uh could be done that way because no one knew the inside of that place like I did. I was very blessed and fortunate to uh, grow up out there, and, and many of those recipes were actually made at our house um, from Freddie Bennett, and who got them from Chef Clark, who was the hand-picked chef from uh, Mr. Roberts, Clifford Roberts, the founder of the club, and Freddie would, would bring various, uh, let's just say, gifted food items to the house and cook them in our kitchen. Yeah, that's was growing cool. up, so it was pretty, pretty
3: special. trip for for those who don't know, t- tell, give us a little bit about your background and, and who Freddie Bennett is and kind of uh, lead us into your inspiration for write, writing this book.
4: Well, um, I first meet Freddie when I'm 10 years old and had moved from a neighborhood where I knew everyone to a neighborhood where I knew no one over on Wheeler Road, which is only about five minutes from the Augusta National. And I'm in the kitchen uh, where I hung out quite a bit in my youth. And I'm having a little chilly, and it's summertime. And there's a knock on the door, and, and it's uh, it's it's Freddie Bennett. And I I go and open it, and he says, "Hey, man, it's Freddie. Am my doctor home?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah. Uh, pops in the back. Uh, yeah, come on in." And he takes the steps two at a time, and he's just this mammoth of a man. And he's has such a presence, and he shakes my hand, and he says, "You must be tripped. I've heard all about you." And he it's the first check I remember as a kid, and. I was thinking, well, what is there to know about me? And Pop walks in, they start talking, and then I sit back down and Pop says, come on, Freddie, let's go into my office, which was uh, our den, which had a bar in it, which was pretty cool. <laughs> and his Pop's idea of doctoring Freddie was uh, a glass of scotch, Chevis Regal and some Spanish peanuts with the skin on and checking his blood pressure and telling him he's going to live, and they, they just start telling stories. And <laughs> I got to go in there with him. And which was the first time ever to be in part of like an adult conversation. And Freddie's going on and on about this club. And I was very removed from the game of golf at that that time in my life. In fact, I hated it. I I wanted to go fishing or kick a soccer ball, anything but golf. Because my dad, he played golf, and I felt like he took my dad away from me. So Freddie's on and on about this club, and he turns to me and he says, I hear you don't like golf, but I hear you like to fish. And I said, man, I love to fish. He said, that, that does it. We're going to go to the club tomorrow, and we're going to go fishing. I said, all right, great, the club, cool, cool. And I say to myself, well, what's up? What's he talking about, the club? And I said, well, you know, I got a, a, Repco, a Zepco uh, rod and reel. Just got it from uh, Christmas. He said, oh, man, no rod and reels. He said, that'll, that'll only slow you down. I'm thinking, slow me down? What are you talking about? So we go out to the club, which, of course, turned out to be this is summertime. The, the club is closed. This is Augusta National Golf Club, two and then, Magnolia Lane pop in Freddie's personal golf cart, zip on over to the par three with these cane poles that he cut from the bamboo that grows on number four. He made these cane poles himself. And we're just catching the brim, in as fast as you can sling them up on the bank. Then he put them on a stringer. Just throw them in the cooler, and let's go. And <laughs> it, I've never seen fishing like that in my life. And he was right, the Zepco rod and reel would have slowed me down. I'm talking about in the water, boom, on the on the land, there you go. And Freddie turns to me and he says, I know you don't like golf, but have you ever given it a chance? And I thought, I've, I've never had a question poised to me quite like that before. And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, all right, man, let me show you something. So he shows me the golf grip, the Hogan grip, you know, with the crook of your finger and the, the sort of meaty palm of your hand, just one finger. And I'm holding on, onto the cane pole like that. He says, all right, pulling a fish. And I'm weighing about 12 pounds at this point in my life. I'm a tiny little kid. And he puts the cane pole in the water. I'm holding onto it with one finger, and I'm pulling a fish. And I said, that's golf? That's golf. And I was hooked, no pun intended, <laughs> for life. And thanks to Freddie Bennett, I was uh, blessed enough to make my high school golf team, uh, which was an accomplishment considering my girlfriend, who is now my wife, broke up with me the day of qualifier. And I shoot 48 and don't make it, so they have another <laughs> novel qualifier. And I get on my knees and I grovel, which I've gotten really good at that in my marriage, groveling and uh, begging for mercy. And he has me back, and in the next qualifier I shot 36 and made the golf team uh, as a ninth grader. And Freddie came by the house with uh, Pompano from Florida that was floating in that morning to the Augusta National. And Chef Clark thought he was uh, in his duty to give uh, some of that Pompano to Freddie, and Freddie brought it by the house. And he fried it up in our kitchen to uh, celebrate uh, me making the golf team and getting my love with my life back. And he said, "Man, I want to hear all about it." And that recipe is actually in the book, in the, in the Caddy's cookbook.
2: And right. she's put up with you for how many years now, Trip?
4: Believe it or not, it's uh, been it's been twenty.
2: Yeah, 20 nice years, going. And,
4: uh, we were yeah, thank you, thank you. We were married on uh, Halloween. <laughs>
1: That's great.
4: Quite sitting quite and I had uh, twenty-seven groomsmen. I've been in nineteen weddings <laughs> at, at that time, and I uh, felt like there were a lot of my friends who needed to go, go and rent a tux. And, Take some cash. It was a, it was a great wedding. We uh, it was more of a party. In fact, we uh, my wife had been married once before, and her dad said, uh, "I'll pay for the reception, but I ain't paying for the wedding." <laughs> so we we did the old take out a second mortgage and, and pay for our <laughs> wedding. And, and uh, you know, when it comes time to you know getting the horse and buggy and ride off into the sunset and throw the rice and all that stuff, I'm like, wait a minute, hell with that. We pay for this damn thing. So we rode in the carriage around the church and came back in, and we blew it down until 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm paying for this party. We're going to stay to the end. There we, you it. go.
3: Well, Tripp, t- tell, us, tell us about a Caddy's cookbook. it uh, uh you got some great stuff in there. Caddy's Chewing Gum. I want to hear about
4: that. Oh, man, that was a classic, classic. Well, the, the idea of the book came from – I personally don't care for cookbooks except for uh, – Ina Garten, the Barefoot Contessa lady, her stuff is really good, but you got to be able to you know know your way around a measurement, which I do not. I'm a dash of this, a sprinkle of that kind of person, and always have been. But somehow all, I've, I've been able to create some pretty awesome dishes, um, and that was for the emphasis of, of the Caddy's Cookbook. I wanted it to be fun, and I've, I've been blessed to hear people say, I read your cookbook cover to cover, and I'm thinking, who reads a cookbook? That's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And with the caddy's chewing gum, true story, there was a guy named Larry Fowler, who was uh, an Army vet and also a phenomenal caddy. And we're out there with our regular group, which, uh, with you boys being in Minnesota, uh, his, his name was uh, Mr. Britston, Paul Britston, And he was from North Dakota. And he would winter, winter in Bemidji, Minnesota. <laughs> and I never saw him wear a sweater. I don't think he owned one. And he called me Abner, like little Abner. I never knew why about that. And we were out there, and and Larry liked to, you know, getting that oil, as Freddie would say, um, the night before. And and Freddie's butter beans, which were a great cure for a hangover, he'd make those in the caddy house, and you'd get a big old bowl full of those in the morning to cure what ails you. But uh, Mr. Brisson told Larry, he said, you show up tomorrow morning, and Larry was in our group, Mr. Brisson would come down for a couple weeks at a time in February. He said, you show up drunk tomorrow with liquor on your breath, you're fired. Well, of course, Larry shows up drunk with liquor on his breath. But he's doing a very clever job of staying away from Mr. Britson as best he can. Well, we're tooling down number two, and I look over, and there's Larry jumping like a pogo stick and reaching up and grabbing pine needles. I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Pulls them down. These loblolly pine needles are really long, and they're apparently they're very chewy. And he puts them in his mouth. He's chewing them. <laughs> and I'm like, what in the hell? And he goes, hey, my name was White Boy, which wasn't all that clever, but it fit. Hey, White Boy, White Boy. And he's blowing his breath on me, and I'm like, damn, that smells like, like a Christmas tree. So he comes to down the fairway with Mr. Briston, and Mr. Briston says, Larry, I smell Christmas. And he said, yeah, boss. And he's doing the old <laughs> kind of fake accent. He says, yeah, boss. He said, they pipe that stuff in here right after Christmas, keep the Christmas spirit going. He said, me and my granddaddy. We used to go crack down on Christmas trees and nothing but pocket knives and gumption. But ain't that a beautiful smell? Mr. Prince said, yes. It smells like Christmas. He said, boy, they do everything out there, don't they? He said, yes, sir, they do. <laughs> <laughs> he called it God's own chewing gum. They <laughs> he, he kept his job.
2: It's got to be a great read uh, trip with the, I love, well, for me, you know, with my attention span, like, like five-page chapters and six-page chapters and four-page chapters, a guy can kind of uh, – I uh, kind of get through a chapter or two and put together a pretty good meal. I'm guessing. Uh, tell me about uh, things an Augusta Caddy he might carry in his pockets. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I was a uh, a grazer, kind of like a cow snacker, <laughs> and I always had everything in my pocket you could imagine. I mean, it'd be a pork chop sandwich, and I would take two bites of that on number one, and that would take me through number nine. I had we called them bone sandwiches, which was chicken fried chicken, and two pieces of squishy white bread, and horse would push it down with his knuckles and wrap it up. Sometimes it'd be a sausage dog. Uh, this is a good one here. Uh, my first day caddying out there, and I'm hungry, and I go to the up to the window there where Horace was cooking, and I asked for a hot dog, and he said sausage dog. And I thought he misunderstood me. I said, no, I'd like a hot dog. He said sausage dog. And he took up a sausage dog through the window, and it's like a like a pay window at, at, the, at the horse races with his metal bars and everything. So you couldn't get in there to whip his ass or him whip yours, I guess. <laughs> and, and then I said, okay, all right. And I'm thinking, well, I'd like a Coke. He said, grape soda. I said, no, a Coke, please. He said, grape soda. He slides a grape soda to me. And I thought, all right, I guess you, whatever's on the menu's on the menu. But whatever's on the menu, I, I put those in my pocket and just tooled on, on down the fairways. And sometimes it was, uh, there was a caddy named Donahue, uh, who you may recall the uh, the phrase from Delta back in the day. Uh, uh, we love to fly in the shows. And Freddie called Donahue Delta. So he loves to drink in the shows. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have these 40-ounce uh, Crazy Horse malt liquors in my caddy suit, which was huge pockets. I don't know why the pockets were so huge on those caddy suits, uh, uniforms, except for, let I mean, to put a 40-ounce. Think about that. A 40-ounce beer sitting perfectly in my pocket. You can even tell it was in there. And we'd have to go off, we called it first thing smoking in the mornings, and, and I just handed it to Donahue, and, uh, he called me his doctor to get him right with the chip, and, and, uh, <laughs> he chugged chug that bad boy he'd be gone by, by the first green. And, uh, one time Donahue, good story on Donahue, he showed up just in bad shape, but his main man was in town, and he had to go out with him. So he put the bag on his shoulder, and he's like spinning around like a top. And Freddie said, that ain't gonna do. So he put, Freddie put another bag on Donahue's shoulder. And Donahue was upright and looking good, and he said, man, he was balanced, and the scale's adjusted. <laughs> <laughs> but I had everything in my pocket, Mike. I mean, you, you name it, it was in there. It was a can of sardines, a boiled egg, uh, nit cheese crackers, bar none candy bars. If you needed something, I was, I was your man. I was, I was called Snack Man, too. <laughs> <I had laughs> nice. Barbara Trip, Ultralight's in the box. That's
3: Trip, is, uh, is Chef Clark, is he still at Augusta National?
4: Uh, no. Um, sadly, he's uh, passed on um, untimely death. He's been gone, gosh, 25 years,
3: probably,
4: okay. if not more.
3: Yeah. T- tell us about some of his secret recipes. Oh. you got several I of those in the long. book.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, Chef Clark, he was he was trained uh, by a uh, French and Dutch chef, so he was. I mean, he had a skill set about him. He's a South Carolina boy, actually. and But uh, when he first got handpicked by uh, Mr. Roberts uh, from the Breakers down in Florida, and he gets there, and then Mr. Roberts is in town with some— uh, of his heavy hitters, and they'd just done this big merger for him and, and made a lot of money for everybody. And Mr. Roberts was telling him, you know, we've got national, we've got the best of everything. And he tells Chef Clark, I want my you know, my roasted lamb, I want my freezing potatoes, I want my port, I want my favorite dessert. And Chef Clark just said, yes, sir, and Mr. Roberts, said, absolutely. What, what might that favorite dessert be? And he says, uh, pound cake. And Chef goes, all right, I'm on it, I'm on it. Well, Chef wasn't on nothing. He didn't know cream brulee from a cream-filled donut, much less pound cake. He wasn't a baker. But he did know the Kroger, which I don't know if y'all have those in Minnesota. It's the grocery store there. And it was across the street from the National. So Chef slips across the gro- to the grocery store, gets a, pound, gets a tin of uh, the Sarah Lee pound cake, comes back, toasts it up in the oven, serves it up as a Gus National secret recipe pound cake, puts a little powdered sugar on it, makes it look authentic. And Mr. Roberts is digging into it and loving it. And he says, boys, and i tell you, we got the best of everything here. Is this not the best pound cake you ever had? <laughs> so they're agreeing, and Chef Clark is, oh, whew, you know, save the day. And he comes back out and asks Mr. Roberts how the meal was, and, and everybody's happy. And Mr. Roberts says, I oh, just want thing, thank Chef, uh, if I may. And he said, yes, sir. He said, uh, I'd like the recipe. And Chef says, uh, recipe for what, Mr. Roberts? He says, the pound cake. Oh, hell. So for the rest of the season, which ends the third week in May, Chef Clark is ducking Mr. Roberts. He's trying to get this recipe for Sarah Lee Pound Cake, which, of course, there isn't one unless you know Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, at the end of the season, Mr. Roberts comes into the kitchen and says, Chef, I don't know why you've been ducking my ass all season long, but I want that recipe for the pound cake so I can take it up to my private chef in New York and get him to make it up for me and the wife and get me back in good graces with her because, you know, I've been gone all year. And Chef goes, yeah, you know, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. He says, Mr. Roberts, that pound cake, it's it's Sarah Lee. And Mr. Roberts wasn't like the rest of us. He's never shopped in his life. And he said, What? And said, Mr. Roberts, pound cake, sir, it's Sarah Lee. And he says, What? I said, Mr. Roberts, that pound cake is Sarah Lee. And Mr. Robert pauses and he says, I don't give a damn if it's Robert E. Lee.
1: I want that
0: recipe. Get Sarah on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> for the
4: rest, of <laughs> Chef Clark's life at the Gus National. The secret recipe for pound cake was Sara Lee.
2: I like a good secret recipe. Yeah. yeah, keep it up in the cupboard. <laughs> yep,
4: put it in the cupboard. And the uh,
2: trip. Why were Freddie's green beans the cure for the hangover?
4: Actually, it was butter beans.
2: Oh, butter beans. Okay, yeah, butter. But oh yeah, I butter beans. beans. I, right. Yeah. Miss Freddie.
4: Green beans. Uh, did the butter beans, and the, it was a cure because it was uh, greasy. But not greasy. Grease, but not. Uh, I'm sorry, saying, this, I'm saying that backwards. It was grease, but not greasy. So it'd slide <laughs> down the gullet, you know, because you got to the cotton mouth, working bad. And it was, it would stick to your ribs, so you didn't feel like you're going to blow chow on the course. Which I had done before. On number, number seven, behind, right behind the pine tree there, where the big scoreboard is during the tournament. And I even read the plot. I said, two balls in left. <laughs> that was a, that was a wild night. Um, and it just, it does stick to your ribs. Uh, goes down the gullet. And besides that, it was just damn good. Made it with a honey baked ham bone. Oh, so had a little tinge of sweetness to it. It was it was wonderful, magical, and tender. Mm. <laughs> That's
2: that recipe's in the book too. It sounds good. The whole book is just loaded with uh, really anything—desserts and entrees and snacks and soups—and uh, man, it looks uh, it's it's just going to and a, a great story, And a great all the story to connect every yeah. every one of them. Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, I wanted I wanted the book to be um I wanted a fun read. And behind every wonderful recipe in all of our families worldwide, there's a story behind it, where, where it came from. And I wanted the readers to know that story. And also I want it to be the kind of cookbook where, you know, once you make that recipe, then make it your own. Put your own little spin on it. Or, or don't, don't have to go back to a cookbook and look it up. How do you make the green beans? How do you make the butter beans? Then you'll know. Maybe go back and read the stories and have a good laugh. And be, you know, be interactive and, and have fun with it. And I, th- I think the book pulled it off that well. I had a, had a great editor in uh, Julie Gans that I give a little shout out to, uh, Skyhorse Publishing. She was uh, fantastic. In fact, I, I mentioned in the acknowledgments uh, she knew when to uh, release the Kraken and when to rein in the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: Trip, where do, where do people find the Caddy's Cookbook?
4: Uh, well, it's actually on and all the usual suspects, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble and whatnot. But, uh, I love for people to come onto my website, which is, uh, com. That's trip with two P's, com. And just follow the prompts, and you can order it on there, and I'll personalize it for you. And, and uh, I love to do it that way. they so can write a little, nice little note in there, put their name on it, and, um, you know, be a cookbook for life. Beautiful well
3: we're gonna to try to get you up here this summer to tell some some of your tales so uh for some people in in uh live rather than on the radio
0: oh, I would love to
4: I would love okay. to I'd be honored yeah, I I'd, I'd do that all over the country yeah we, everywhere so well, that's good that's stuff the honor to come up there
3: well trip we re- we really appreciate you coming on the show and uh sh- sharing some of your stories and uh what a great masters it was this year.
4: Gosh, and I was there for '86. Uh, after I took a wee nap on '15 in the uh, firethorn bushes, and was woken up by a security guard, told me I needed to wake up. Which now you do. That day, cart you off in a, probably a armored car. But uh, I was there for '86, and that was phenomenal. You know, when Jack won, uh, like he did, and and it's funny, I because I I tell people far and wide that the tiger was done, even though my mantra is Jack Nicholas's. My, my clubs ain't rusty and I'm not done. Whenever I'm out there playing, you know, now I'm i have gotten older. And Tiger's clubs weren't rusting. He wasn't done.
2: No, he was, was not. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> that was
4: just uh, and, and you knew it. And every and the thing was the guys in his group knew it. The guys on the leaderboard knew it. And they just dropped like flies. Yeah. Tiger's back. That's right. As you say it's great. Great for the game of golf. Yes, it is.
3: Well, beautiful. Well, thanks again, Trip. Have a great Easter weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to getting the book.
4: Thank you, Chris, and uh, thanks, Mac. Always a
3: pleasure, gents. Thanks, Tripp. Thank you, Trip. Y'all
4: take
2: care. Bye-bye. That's Trip Bowden, author, caddy, raconteur, and chef, and, uh, <laughs> and so much fun. Nice to have him on the show. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.
0: You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley and Colin McDonald at 1380 KLIZ. The Fan.
2: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley. Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. We're streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com and also available now on Podcast One. You can just go search Lakes, Woods, and Irons and you can find us. I want to thank uh, Derek Ingram and uh, Trip Bowden, a couple of uh, colorful guests we've had before. You know, with Tripp, uh, Chris, you need a guy, you get a group of guys that go. You've taken a group to Scotland, you've taken groups everywhere, but when you've got a guy who can kind of handle the cooking, that always makes the trip a lot of fun. You know, if you've got two guys sharing the cooking, say there's eight of us or whatever, uh, and there's always uh, something everybody's looking forward to at lunch or dinner or That's breakfast, right. whatever the case might be, well, Tripp would be quite a guy to uh, have along, I think, as far as handling it. Cooking and trip. storytelling. Yeah. It. He's got it covered. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> there's generally a fair amount of BS when eight guys go somewhere but I think trip might be the leader of the pack in that category No so, question. Yeah, very entertaining. Should be a fun book and uh if you just like cookbooks and golf in general, that's not a bad combination. Uh Tiger Woods of course wins uh his 15th major and uh, uh you know, you give you gave Tiger about uh 10 minutes to revel in it before somebody asked, "Do you think 18s in in the uh <laughs> in the sights now, Tiger?" Of course he's got he's used to those questions. Yeah. He's ready to go. When you thought Uh, Certainly looking back, I mean, I remember thinking, well, I don't know if he'll make it. He was 32 and he had 14, which is extraordinary. And uh, now he's 43 and he has 15. Who would have thought 11 years and 44 majors later he'd have one more? Yeah, 15 is certainly a lot closer than, than 14 was and
3: uh when he because he sat on that 14 number for so long it it never seemed possible but you know now nothing's out of the realm of possibilities, no. spe- especially with the major venues coming up i mean he's won at beth page before yeah he's won handily at pebble beach big yeah uh port rush is a a site that's unknown but if you look at the open chan- or i mean at the the sites coming up uh, for the major championships, the majority of him, he's had some success on, and I, the the Open Championship is where I would say he has the best chance of any of any of the majors year in and year out to win because it, it suits his game so well. Yeah, and you know if you if you really if you analyze it, Augusta isn't a great venue for him, even though that's his fifth fifth green jacket it wouldn't it wouldn't have been the one i would have picked for him to win next yeah yeah um it certainly played well but I, you know it um it's not necessarily the one that
2: you'd say oh if you look at the the venues here's the one that here's the one where he's got a great chance it might not have been the best chance but it's also probably the one he has the chance at the longest it's such for a sure it's a uh it's a course where familiarity breeds wins if you think of Nicholas with six and Tiger with five and Arnie with four and I think Gary and Phil and Faldo with three, those guys, those great players remember how to play that golf course. Right. It makes a big difference. Yeah, you know the 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 biggest strengths of Tiger's game play into
3: Augusta because he controls the distance with his irons uh, exceptionally well, um, better than the, the vast majority of players. And like like we saw this weekend, he is an incredible leg putter. And that, you know, over the course of his career, you know, his three-putt three avoidance stats are as are as good as anybody's and uh sunday the putt he hit on nine uh that was really in my mind when he hit when he hit the putt on nine that was when i thought he's going to do this because the the putt he had that he had a, a back left pin he was on the right side of the green and the amount of slope on that green and as fast as it is is incredible yeah and he, that putt you know, was he, he he nuzzled that putt up to what was it, twelve or eighteen inches, and uh, that in my mind was when I thought this is really happening.
2: And he got asked about that putt in the uh, in the post game interview, basically, and he said he said, "Well, I've been here for twenty plus years. I've had that putt before. Yeah. So not, I mean, very very few guys have." and uh, but he has it's you know it's like
3: my my friend Hank Haney uh, says tour players aren't necessarily great green readers they're great green rememberers
2: yeah yeah very very true and again uh, back to the leaderboard for a minute it was just full of the game's best players and if anything gets in tiger's way of 18 it'll be people like uh, Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka and Rory McIlroy who are multiple winners at a uh, pretty young age especially Kepka and McIlroy and if Speeth ever finds his game again, and Thomas, certainly, those are four guys who could win, you know, a half dozen majors each, which uh, kind of cuts down the total number of available majors. Yeah, those majors, <laughs> you know, the, only four of them happen a year, and you get a peak at the right time. It's Nineteenth-old, uh, <laughs> Chris, you were in uh, Augusta for uh, several days in charge of kind of... Uh, uh, different golf groups that you help out with getting people to and from and people that maybe have never been there or and you've got some yeah. experience there so Nineteenth uh, hole adventures. Any you can share? Tito's handmade vodka sponsors the nineteenth hole for us every week. Yeah, I think we talked about it last week. But the 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 best nineteenth hole
3: in Augusta is is at Augusta Country Club, and uh, it's a great place to watch people and and have a have a cocktail and and uh, kind of round out the day.
2: So that that that's always my favorite spot. The uh, back to the eighteen for just a minute. Jack's number of majors and Tiger at fifteen now. The great thing about it is it's like, uh, I don't know, the designated hitter in baseball. You know, you can hate it or you can love it, but you can always argue about it. And uh, the old dogs want uh, Jack to be the greatest ever, and Tiger's generation wants Tiger to be the greatest ever, and probably some of the young guns want Kepka to be the greatest ever or Spieth. So that's kind of part of the fun of it, whatever generation you're in, and you realize how great they all are when you start to uh, pay attention to what's happening out there. And I noticed, uh, just saw this morning. Are you ready to dust the clubs off and make this season your best one yet? That's at Chris Foley Golf, and uh, Chris, it's uh, you're just taking off here, really. I mean, we're just getting going in April, and uh, uh, this is going to light a young, uh, light a lot of young fires. These uh, and he, and the old dogs too are going to go. Hey i got to yep. get ready. Tiger's right. back. I need to get back. <laughs> that's right. Uh, weekend of Great
3: Golf will do a lot to inspire you, and I, I think it uh, should inspire everybody, and I, uh, I'm ready to go for the season. <laughs> you never get to play, but you get to teach. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to play a little bit more coming up here, so sure. I hope. That's You're
2: what gonna, I always say. Well, you got the tiger fever. In <laughs> yeah, that's
3: right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Mac. You've been listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Thanks for listening to today's
0: edition of Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Today's broadcast is sponsored by Breezy Point Resort, your holiday station store on Mill Avenue and Cross Lake, Maury's Market, Rutgers Bay Lake Lodge, Ernie's on Gull, The Tea hive Halverson Law Office, and the Legacy Courses at Cregan's. Streaming at lakeswoodsandirons.com, sponsored by Mills GM. We now return to our regularly scheduled program at 1380 KLIZ, The Fan.